0: Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about a neat phenomenon called code switching and about how to write numbers. Before we get started, though, I want to mention that I've revamped my email newsletter. And now, instead of just being links to what we do every week, I'm summarizing and highlighting some of my favorite word-related articles and posts. It's a lot more interesting and meaty, and I think you'll like it. So open it if it comes to your inbox and you haven't in a while. Or if you want to subscribe, just go to quickanddirtytips.com and look for the subscribe link. It's free. There's a fascinating trick multilingual people use called code switching, which is also called code mixing or language alternation. Those are just fancy ways of describing the practice of switching between two or more languages, dialects, or language varieties in a single conversation, situation, or even in a single sentence. If you hear someone code-switching, you may think they're confused, but they're not. The fact that they are code-switching actually means they know the languages they're switching between especially well. There are really two definitions of code-switching. The first is the one I just mentioned, linguistic code-switching, which is mostly used by bilingual and multilingual speakers. Of course, speakers can't just plug in any old word and ignore grammatical rules According to United Language Group, when speakers code switch, it seems like it just happens on the fly. But underneath, there are many factors, even subconscious ones, speakers apply so what they're saying makes sense. Here's a short example of a bilingual woman code switching between English and Spanish from a video called Alyssa's Example of Code Switching Spanglish on YouTube by Alyssa Moreno.
1: We just wanted to plant some stuff. We ended up buying, you know, lo colorado. Aha. Uh-huh. No, como tres? No, yo lo puse la tree right right next to it. Aha. Uh-huh. And in the flower bed. No, yo puse tres ahí. The second broader
0: definition of code switching comes from sociolinguistics, which, according to dictionary.com is the study of how languages function in society. Speakers use different language combinations, dialects, accents, and even mannerisms within social groups to show that they identify with the group. Speakers might change their language style based on whom they're talking to, what they're talking about, where they are, and much more. For example, teenagers often talk differently with their friends than they do with their grandparents. Again, according to United Language Group, lots of factors come into play why and when speakers code switch in social groups, including age, class, location, upbringing, and ethnicity. Carlos D. Morrison, a professor of communications at Alabama State University, notes that one particularly interesting field of study is the ways in which code switching, particularly by members of minority ethnic groups, is used to shape and maintain a sense of identity and belonging to their community. In this context, code switching might mean adjusting a style of speech, appearance, behavior, and expression to make other people more comfortable or to be treated more fairly in public, at work, or at school. Now let's look at why people code switch. There are several reasons. The most common reason for code switching is completely unintentional. People slip into a different language or accent without even meaning to. Next, Everyone wants to fit in. People often code switch both consciously and unconsciously to be more like the people around them. While this can be effective, it can also backfire. Matt Thompson from NPR, for example, described a Spanish teacher in Nashville who works with students who use a Southern African American English dialect. He's used to speaking with his students in this way, which likely allows him to make a strong connection with them and explain his subject more easily but one day his principal walks in and asks for a report he needs. The teacher responds to him in the same style he uses with his students, which earns him an open mouth and raised eyebrow from his boss, and he quickly code switches back to standard English. Next, sometimes people code switch not just to fit in, but to actively seek favor from others or get something they need. According to Thompson, service industry workers from the South have reported that a Southern accent is a surefire way to get better tips and more sympathetic customers. Quote, apparently everyone who works in restaurants picks up y'all immediately upon arriving at their job, unquote. Sometimes people code switch to convey secrets, for example, teens talking to their friends in front of a teacher or a couple whispering sweet nothings to each other in public. This type of code switching also comes with risks, though. It can cause other people to make assumptions about what's being said or become suspicious because they don't understand it. Code switching can also help a speaker convey a thought. Certain concepts need that perfect word or expression to just get the point across. Many people switch languages or use colloquialisms, words or phrases typically used in ordinary or familiar conversation, to express specific ideas. Sometimes the right word just does not exist in one language or the other, and sometimes the situation just warrants it, like the mother who mixes in some colorful Spanish expressions with her regular English when she's upset with her kids. Bilingual people will also code-switch when reporting what another person said to them in the other language. In her blog, Españolita Sobre la Marcha, Audrey Critoval gives an example of her friend, Dee, who in a conversation that started in Spanish, switched to English to inform her that his boss had told him, quote, he was off to a tremendous start, unquote. According to Critoval, quote, it would sound unnatural if Dee translated into Spanish what his boss had told him, given that I understand English, unquote. Finally, speakers code switch due to a process called borrowing. A bilingual person will sometimes borrow a word from the other language because the vocabulary from their first language just doesn't cut it. Kratoval described another conversation with Dee in which he had used the word Tupperware. What's really interesting, though, is that to maintain flow, Dee kept the pronunciation and intonation of the language they were speaking— Hence, Dee used a Spanish-influenced pronunciation, tuperware for Tupperware. There are many more reasons and ways people code-switch than those we just discussed. Although many people say they code-switch to fit in, several others note they do it to be different. As NPR's Gene Demby pointed out in his post how code-switching explains the world, quote, no matter your race, ethnicity, class, or cultural background, you probably do it, unquote. As neat as it is, unfortunately, there are many negative stereotypes and misconceptions about code switching. Some people think it's a sign that the speaker doesn't know either language very well. But as Karen Waldhauser from Bilingual KidSpot points out, quote, it's actually a fairly sophisticated language tool, unquote. It's true. The brain is figuring out the most efficient way to communicate. Waldhauser continues, quote, rather than indicating a lack of ability or laziness, code-switching is usually a sign of people using all the resources in their brains to get their meaning across, unquote. The most common misconception is that people who code-switch are confusing their languages or dialects. Not so. The British Council notes that code-switching is deliberate, not random, and is a typical characteristic of multilingual communication— They say, quote, it's rule-governed and embedded in the structure of the languages used. It allows multilingual communication to flow, unquote. Some people believe code-switching is a sign that they're lazy or not really bilingual, and this is also simply not true. Bilingual people who know both languages equally well often code-switch. Ellen Asklove from Babel magazine gives the following examples spoken by a bilingual person from Puerto Rico. La comida estaba delicious. We enjoyed it a lot, meaning the food was delicious. We enjoyed it a lot. Or, pasamos una noche super nice, meaning we had a super nice evening. In reality, code switching requires an advanced level of bilingual ability, according to the Cambridge Handbook of Linguistic Code Switching. We know this because the speaker has to follow the rules of each language's grammar between and even within sentences. Again, it doesn't just happen willy-nilly. And those who speak one language better than the other don't code-switch as much. True code-switching generally requires that a speaker know both languages really well. According to Asklov, quote, it's a choice made by speakers with a wide variety of words and expressions to choose from, We all use code switching to some extent. The way we speak to our clients or teachers isn't the same way we speak to our close friends. Most people know how to do this instinctively, and bilingual people just have more tools in their language toolkit. Tools like code switching are part of what make language fun, so the next time you hear someone code switching, marvel at how quickly someone's brain can process and mash up two different languages. That segment was written by Susan K. Herman, a former U.S. government editor, language analyst, and language instructor. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users, learning 25 different languages and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar? That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by the Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bands across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times bestselling author Jody Pico and Publisher's Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. And as the Washington Post and The Guardian said, Missing Pages is a, quote, must listen. And I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety. Speech writer and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication. And psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi. Whether to use a numeral or to spell out a number as a word is a matter of style. In the most general sense, most guides agree that you should use words for the numbers 1 through 9, but for larger numbers and in specific instances, the rules vary wildly from style guide to style guide. Some say to use words for the numbers 1 to 100, 1 to 10, any word that can be written with one or two words, and so on. Typically, people who write business or technical documents are more likely to use numerals liberally, whereas people who write less technical documents are more likely to write out the words for numbers. If someone handles numbers in a different way than you do, they're probably using a different style guide. I've often joked with my husband about what it will be that one day makes me snap, and it turns out it's the numbers section of style guides. I've been working on this frickin' segment for more than a year, and every time I get fed up and abandon it because it is just chaos. Chaos. There's almost no agreement about anything. And even when your style guide has a general rule about numbers, it'll likely have exceptions. For example, the AP Stylebook generally recommends writing out the numbers 1 through 9 and using the numerals for bigger numbers. But it also has exceptions like always use numerals for ages, dimensions, distances, monetary units, golf club names, sports scores, spacecraft designations, planes, but not Air Force One, and more. Chicago summarizes its guidelines and then in the very next entry outlines alternative guidelines. You might think there are some other general rules, like not to use a numeral at the beginning of a sentence. Sure, that's a general rule. Most style guides recommend writing out the words. But then there are exceptions, like don't do it if it's awkward, according to Chicago, and don't do it if it's a year or something like 401k, according to the AP style book. And if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, You know me, and you know that I don't mind exceptions, and these exceptions, they even seem good. I mean, you shouldn't do something awkward just to stick to some rigid style, but the differences and exceptions just go on and on, so much so that I don't even know what to tell you. Here's another one. Numbers in dialogue or quotations. Chicago says to write out numbers in dialogue. So far, so good. Except when it looks silly. They say it in a nicer way. They say it requires editorial discretion, but that basically means don't do it if it looks silly. AP, on the other hand, says to just treat quotations like you would any other text. It doesn't have any special style for numbers and quotations. And here's the last example I'll thrust upon you. What do you do when you have a mix of numbers in one sentence? For example, what if you're writing about five truffles, 22 cake pops, three quickly melting fudge sickles, and 126 chocolate sprinkles, all laid out in a row to channel my inner squiggly here? Well, Chicago, again, gives you multiple options. If you'd use the numeral for one item in a category, you can use it for all of them, So, all the things we lined up are foods, and you use the numeral for the 126 chocolate sprinkles, so you'd use the numeral for all of them. But if you have multiple categories, you can treat each category separately. For example, if I added two napkins and three forks to the end of the list, I could use the words for those amounts. And I think that looks ridiculous. But hey, they have so many exceptions, I could probably do it any way I wanted, and that would be fine. The title of this section in the style guide, by the way, is 9.7 Numbers, Consistency, and Flexibility. It's, It's perfectly reasonable, actually, but annoying if you're trying to explain rules to people. For this same kind of sentence, the Associated Press says to just stick to the style and write the words for 2, 3, and 5, and the numbers for 22 and 126. But then they acknowledge in the Q&A section that it looks weird, and this rule is one of the reasons they are, quote, taking a close look at our numerals guidelines with a goal of simplifying them, unquote. And I know from hearing the editors talk at conferences that they've been trying to update and simplify the numbers section for at least four years now, maybe five, and I think they were already struggling with it and then the pandemic hit and threw them off even more. So every year, I keep expecting an update... And it doesn't come. And and that's fine. I mean, I'm not mad at them. I get it. But, um, it's been a hard week anyway. And these number sections just did me in. maybe I picked the wrong week to resolve to finally tackle this tough topic. So here's the best advice I can give you. Do whatever. No, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. If you're required to follow a certain style guide, you're probably going to need to look up number related rules a lot. Don't rely on just the basic one through ten or one through a hundred guidelines. It is vastly more complicated than that. Put sticky notes on the pages with the rules you'll probably need to use a few times or save them digitally somewhere so that you can find them again quickly in the future. And if you have some flexibility, although it's always fine to create a house style that you like and use that instead, it is especially fine in the case of numbers because, one, the style guides themselves are all over the place. And two, it's not like most of your readers are going to be familiar enough with all these complicated rules to even notice if you're doing your own thing. Of course, it's still a good idea to be consistent with whatever style you choose. I mean, your readers may notice if you handle numbers in different ways in different articles or on different pages of your website. And and I lied. I have one more weird and annoying number fact for you. Did you know that a billion is actually a different amount in different countries? Yep, in the United States, a billion is 10 to the ninth, or 1,000 million but in a lot of non-English-speaking countries, it's ten to the twelfth, or a million million, and in Britain, it can be either. Either. Billion comes to English directly from French, where the by-prefix was meant to mean a million squared, or a million million, but eventually the French changed it to mean a thousand million, and the United States adopted that French meaning in the 19th century— but later in 1948, in what I can only imagine must have been a gotcha headfake just to mess with people, France reverted to the older meaning. Britain originally went with the older million million meaning, but according to the Oxford English Dictionary, since 1951, the American and discarded French definition have been gaining ground in Britain, and I believe it's now the official government definition. But again, according to the OED. The other definition, million million, is also quote unquote common in Britain. So I really don't know what to tell you if you're reading British English or translated documents, except to double check the meaning of the word billion. And now I'm finished. Finally, I have a family-like story from Jessica.
1: Hi, Mignon. My name is Jessica, and I just listened to a podcast where a listener shared their familect, um, and their familect was FOOP, F-O-O-P. And my family has a similar one that I wanted to share. Ours is FOOMP, F-O-O-M-P. And ours relates to any time something disappears suddenly. We say that it FOOMPed. Um, This started When we were on a car ride and had a blanket rolled up into the window as kind of a sunshade. And my husband opened the window before I had a good hold of the blanket. And the noise that it made as it got sucked out of the window was foomp. So from that point on, anything that disappears suddenly, especially if it's flying out of a window, uh, we say that it foomped. So I just wanted to share. Love your podcast. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Jessica. I started laughing about halfway through your story because I could see where this was going. Foomp. If you want to call for the story of your family,ct a word your family and only your family uses, you can leave a voicemail at 83 girl and I might play it on the show. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. Thanks to my audio engineer Nathan Sims and my editor Adam Cecil. Our ad operations specialist is Morgan Christensen and our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. Our intern is Brendan Pika, and our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin, who believes that all librarians are magical, but especially Davina's dad, whose birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, Russ. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker.